We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to this message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. Guys, we are in this new series called Undone, the Curse of Almost. Undone, the curse of almost. Last week was so, so good. I got so much good feedback. Listen, last week spoke to me first. Before it even spoke to you guys, it spoke to me. I got text message, guys. I got text messages of people telling me like they were weeping going through the message. Like God had convicted them so much that that message was so pointed to their lives that, that, that God brought about a level of conviction and that brought them to tears. So if you haven't checked out that message, I would invite you to go to YouTube and go catch it there. You can watch it there or you can subscribe to one of our podcast channels, whether you listen on Spotify, Apple uh, Podcasts, or whatever else you listen to podcasts. We're, I think, everywhere. So make sure you go listen to that message where you can capture all the messages that come from Relevant Church. But in this series, The Curse of Almost, Undone the Curse of Almost, this statement, The Curse of Almost, has probably been the greatest ball and chain over my life. I've always felt like my life was the curse of almost. Like there's so many uh, shoulda, coulda, wouldas in my life. There's so many unfinished areas in my life. And the truth is many of us have unfinished areas of our lives, unfinished conversations, unfinished opportunities, unfinished business plans, unfinished stuff that we're wondering, man, I wish I could have finished it. I wish I wouldn't have left it undone. And we're left feeling like I I was almost free. I almost made it. I was almost successful. I almost saved my marriage. I almost reconciled the relationship with my child. I, I almost did that thing, but for whatever reason, I left it undone. And now I'm living in the world of shoulda, coulda, woulda, and what ifs. What ifs I would have made a different choice. See, there comes areas, there becomes areas in our lives where we leave things so undone. So how do we get to the finish line? How do we get to the point where we no longer leave things undone in our lives? How how do we get to the point where we actually start what we finish? How do we cross the finish line and do not repeat the mistakes of our past? That's what this series is about, getting to the finish line. So this is my challenge to you guys. I'm going to be in the Bible really, really heavy today. There's going to be a lot of scripture that we're going to go through. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to go get a Bible. If you're listening right now, maybe you are at your job. Maybe you are on your couch. Maybe you are at the airport. I don't know. You could be anywhere else. This is what I want you to do. Before you go forward even more, I want you to grab a Bible. Listen, ask the person sitting next to you, yo, do you have a Bible? I don't know. Get a Bible, pull up your Bibles, because I really want you to follow along. I really believe that this this message is so, so important, but I've got to show it to you in Scripture. 
the Bible is God's truth. It comes alive when we read it. It does something. It's a transforming agent in our lives. So go get a Bible. We're going to uh, actually take a pause right now to give you time to go get a Bible, give you time to turn on your computer or your cell phone, whatever it is, and let's dive into scripture. So here goes a song. Here goes a worship song The Relevant Worship has put together. I pray that it ministers to you, even prepares your heart to be able to receive this word today.
So hopefully you got your Bibles. If you got your Bibles, type it in the chats. I've got my Bible. I've, I've got my Bible. I'm ready. Say I'm ready. Go ahead and type it in the chats. I'm ready. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 23, verses 23 through 33. This is going to be the first text we're going to be in. So this is what I'm going to do in this, in this series of verses that I'm going to read, is I'm going to call out the text, Exodus 23, so giving you some time to go through it. Let me give you what's happening in the background, then we'll dive into the text. Uh, there's this group of people called the children of Israel. These are individuals that were set apart by God. These are people. These are a, a tribe of individuals that came out of this man called Israel. Uh, this man uh, was a, a great man in, in scripture. He was just an individual that loved Jesus and his forefathers, Abraham, received a promise from God. His great, 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 great grandfather received a promise from God and said, listen, I am going to take care of your lineage, your offspring. Everybody who comes from your line is going to be blessed. And not only are they going to be blessed, but they're going to be a blessing as well too. And I'm going to prepare a land that is going to be perfect for them where they can grow in prosperity. They can grow their families. They can live whole lives. And in fact, I want to take you there. So God takes this man, Abram, he shows him this land. Abram goes, he puts up an altar and says, this is the land that God is going to give to my ancestors. He's excited. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's thrilled at this opportunity. He ends up dying. Generations pass. Israel is born. Israel has a bunch of kids. They multiply and they become so large, they move to an area called, uh, 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 called Egypt. And in Egypt, they just continue to multiply. And so the Egyptians are like, man, we don't like that these individuals are multiplying to the level that they might take us out as a nation. So we're going to enslave them. So what happens is they're in slavery for years and years and years. They're crying out to God, and, and they get to the point where they even feel like God has forgotten about them. And so God raises up a guy named Moses, and Moses is from the tribe of Israel. He's from the nation of Israel. Moses, miraculously, as God would have it, grows up in Egypt. He grows up in Pharaoh's palace and then moves on and runs away because he does some crazy stuff like all humans do. We mess up, we screw up. He goes away and while he is in a space where he is in the mundane, remember this from last week? In the mundane, God will create the miraculous. So he's in the wilderness. He's living his life. He's married now. He's got kids now. He doesn't want to go back to Egypt. He's left the tribe of Israel that he was a part of. And God says, no, you got to go back and help rescue my people. Fast forward, he goes back. He rescues God's people with God's hand. They go through this journey in the wilderness. And as they're on the wilderness journey, God speaks to Moses specifically and says, hey, I need you to share my truths with these individuals who you're leading. He says, listen, as you guys are getting ready to go back into this land that I promised your forefather Abraham, the land flowing with milk and honey, a land of prosperity, a land of wholesome goodness, there's some things that I need you to be aware of. There's going to be some people in that land that you're going to have to take care of. There are going to be some individuals in that land that you're going to have to clear out the land. You literally have to go in there, but listen to what I'm saying because I'm going to give you some clear directions. So now we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 23. And this is what God tells uh, the children of Israel through Moses. He says this, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. 
Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression. Listen, if you act out, if you act in rebellion, if you try to do your own way, listen, he will not pardon you. You will get what's coming for you. He says, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, an adversary to you, uh, to your adversaries. God is saying, listen, I'm here to protect you. I'm here to lead you. In fact, I'm going to send my angel before you. He is going to lead you into victory. Your enemies are going to be his enemies. Your adversaries are going to be our adversaries. And we'll make sure that you level the playing field. We'll make sure that you are able to accomplish all that we've called you to so that when you go into this land, you are able to win and start life and live an abundant life. Then he goes on in verse 23. He says, when my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and all those ites, you shall bow and you shall not bow to their gods nor serve them nor do what they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. All the places that they used to sacrifice to their gods, all of their holy places, all of their spaces where they used to do animal sacrifice, human sacrifices. He says, listen, I want you to get rid of all of that. I want you to tear it all down. He says, you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry. He says, listen, everyone who is carrying a child will bear that child and it's going to be healthy. He says, no one will be barren in your land. Like everyone will be able to multiply in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against you who shall come and I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. He says, I will send hornets, man. He's like, I'm going to send some killer hornets, killer bees. He says, the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. He says, I will drive out the Hittites, the Canaanites and the Hittites before you. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate. He says, listen, uh, we're going to make this a progression. You're, you're going to go into the land and you're going to take city by city, state by state, land by land. He says, little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. He says, listen, there's so many of them. I need y'all to increase. I need you all to multiply so that the more you increase, the more land you will take. He says, and I'll set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them. What he's saying is like, I don't need you to be in relationship with these people. Don't go over there and negotiate treaties. Don't go over there and say like, okay, we'll give you a piece of the land. We'll let you stick around. He's like, listen, I need you to get rid of everyone. Do not make a covenant with them and their gods. Don't say, okay, cool. You can worship your God over here. We'll, we'll create a space for you. He says, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. You see what's happening? God is saying, listen, I've created the plan. All you've got to do is follow it. Go to this land. It's your land. I've given it to you. In fact, I'm going to give it to you section by section so that it doesn't subdue you. So these people don't trample you. I'm going to make sure that you guys grow, you guys prosper, so that at every interval, at every moment, you are on the winning side. But he gives them a warning. Don't get 
into relationship with these people. Don't let them even stick around. Don't let them continue to worship their gods. Like literally get rid of everything because if you begin to be in relationship with these people, if you begin to worship their gods, it'll become a snare towards you. And then he goes on in Exodus chapter 34. We find a new section where uh, Moses comes and he renews this charge to the people. He says, listen, I'm just going to give you this reminder. We're getting ready to go into this land. I need y'all to get this. Do not forget this. I want you to follow along. Listen, guys, this is so good. I'm telling you, the word of God is alive, and you've got to read this because this means a lot to you and I, and we'll show you in just a quick second. So Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 10, we're going to read a few verses again. And he said, talking about Moses, same guy who told the people this before, he's telling them again, behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. God is like, man, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to create miracles, signs, and wonders. Everybody around you is going to be like, who are these people? Who is their God? Man, what is this about? This is a good deal. I mean, I'm like, all right, God, I'm with you. Let's, let's roll. Verse 11, it says, observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites, all of those ites. He says, take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. He's reminding them again, like, listen, guys, I'm driving these people out. They're not supposed to be driven towards you. They're supposed to be driven away from you. I'm trying to help you get rid of them. I'm trying to make sure that you possess the land because these people, at the end of the day, God knew these people and their hearts were not for God. If the children of Israel would have entered the land, the same thing would have happened to them that happened to them in Egypt. There would have been this superpower that would have overpowered these people, and they would have ended up in slavery, slavery, and they would have ended up hurt, and they would have ended up back in a bad situation. So God is like, before they overtake you, I'm going to overtake them. But listen, do not get in relationship with them. Do not get too close to them, right? And in verse 13, he says this, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. You'll cut down all of their religious idols and their religious gods. So fast forward now, what happens? They get into the land. Moses now has died. He has taught these people everything that they needed to know. A new leader has risen up. His name is Joshua. Joshua was with Moses. He was one of Josh, he was one of Moses' military officials. And now he's taken the military and the spiritual leadership of Israel. So he too now begins to teach these people the same thing that Moses taught them. God is revealing the same plan of attack, the same plan of order, so that these individuals can live life and life to the fullest. God has created already the plan, and so Joshua comes to the people and he reaffirms the covenant that God made with the children of Israel. He's like, the promises that God had made to them, this is what we see now. Joshua 24. Hopefully you're tracking with me. I know it's a lot of text, guys. I know it's a lot of text, but sometimes I want you guys to see the Bible for yourself. It's one thing for me to talk about it. It's another thing for you to touch it and feel it and read it for yourself and allow God to saturate you with his word. 
Okay, so following along, now we're in Joshua chapter 23. Uh, again, Joshua is just telling the people what they already know. He's just reminding them of what they've already supposed to internalize. He says, a long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all of Israel's, its elders, heads, its judges, officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. Just picture it. He's this old man now. He's been this military leader. He's been this spiritual leader and advisor. He's helped these people make good decisions and, and led them into this land. They've had conquest after conquest, and, and, and they've been winning, and it's been really good. And so now he gathers everybody in the town square. He asks everybody to come, and he's sitting high on this chair, and he, he's, he just picture this moment. He's this wise sage, and everybody's like, man, Joshua wants to talk to us. Hey, man, let's go listen to Joshua. And so now they sit before Joshua, and they listen to the words that Joshua has to say. And he says, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, these nations that remain along with the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea. He says, the Lord your God will punish them and he'll push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land, just as the Lord God prom promised you. Therefore, be strong. He says, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. Joshua is saying, listen, I need you to be very strong with this because the reality is we are all weak and we're all susceptible to making mistakes. So he says, listen, I need you to be very, very strong to honor the word of the Lord. And goes on in verse nine, he says, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nation. And as for no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God, for if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations, remaining among you and making marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides, thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. All right. Hopefully you guys have been tracking with me. Hopefully you understand what's going on. I'm not going to go reiterate it, but God has been some, given some specific rules of engagement. Hey, if you want to live well, this is what I need you to do. I need you to honor my word. I need you to worship me. 
I need you to not be in relationship with these people who are not for me, these people who are not with me. I need you to wipe them out. In fact, I'm going to wipe them out for you. You just make sure not to be in relationship with them in this process. And number, the last thing, not number, number 35 of the laws of engagement. He says, listen, do not worship their gods because this will turn a trajectory in your life that will literally end up ruining you. Thursday was my wife's birthday. And for her birthday, uh, we decided to take her out to get her some of her favorite food. Some of you guys may not know, my wife's heritage is from the West Indies, Antigua, Dominica, that area in the West Indies. So we went to go get some West Indian food. And I ordered the very favorite thing that I have on that menu. It's called a red snapper, not snapper turtle. This is a red snapper. It's a fish. It's an amazing fish. And it was amazing. It was glorious to eat this thing. But one thing about this fish is it's super bony. It's a super bony fish. And if you're not careful, you will get it stuck in your throat. You'll get it stuck in your teeth and your mouth will be bleeding. So you've got to eat this fish very carefully. And the fact of the matter is you can actually end up stop enjoying eating this fish because the bones are so thorny and they will chop up your mouth because all you're doing is fighting with fish bones in your mouth the whole time. The best way to eat this fish is to debone it first, or as you take a piece, debone it first. Whatever you do, just don't throw it in your mouth. But when you are greedy like me, what do you do? You take the risk. You just go ahead and throw the fish in your mouth, not checking if there was any little bones in there, and then you suffer the consequences later. And you're like, oh, it's so good, but it hurts. And you end up realizing, man, I should have deboned that fish. Here's the reality about it. Many of us approach life that way. We leave things undone because of impatience, willful neglect, or irresponsibility, and then go on to suffer the consequences that could have easily been avoided. I don't know, maybe I'm preaching to myself. See, Israel had this opportunity of a lifetime as well, too. God had given them the land that he had promised their ancestors. He gave them the the land of promise, a, a land where they would be prosperous, where they would literally be able to flourish and walk into all that God had for them. They could experience freedom from people trying to oppress them. They could experience prosperity. They could experience God's favor and presence in their life. And here's the reality is they didn't create this. God chose them by his own volition. They didn't do anything to deserve it. They didn't do anything to earn God's love. God chose them. They did not chose God. And he blesses them. And this is all he says. All you have to do is walk in the blessing that I have for you. That's not hard. Just walk in the blessing that I have for you. And God grants them this amazing rescue out of, uh, out of Egypt and puts them in this land and says, listen, I'm going to push these people out of here so that you can inherit the land. He provides resources. He provides protection. And he provides safety. And what we've read in these texts is Moses and Joshua, these spiritual leaders, these uh, spiritual fathers to the children of Israel. 
they've come and they've given him clear instructions. He says, listen, if you want things to go well for you, this is what you must do. All they have to do is honor God's word, clear out the inhabitants, and they can go on to live in their best life. They can literally live their best life. God has promised that he will help them, that they will never lose. It says that he's the one fighting the battles for them, that they will not even have to fight very hard. They can go out because they know that they are going to win. And after they've cleared the land, they're, they're going to experience peace and prosperity, and so will their pros- posterity. Their future generations will inherit this land. They will literally see the goodness of God at work in all of their life. And you would think that is a great deal. You would think that is a deal that's like, man, I want to take that. I want to honor that. I want to be with that. And, and you know, I'm going to do everything that I need to do. Joshua 23, 9 and 10, reiterating, it says, For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you. He's like, listen, one of you guys is able to rout thousands of people. There's a story in Scripture about this guy named Shamgar. He was literally able to kill thousands of people with a single ox goat, with a single pick. He's able to accomplish. Why? Because God is with them. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life where everything just seems to fall in place. I mean, like people you're meeting with, it just clicks and you're like, man, I feel like I've known them forever. Opportunities uh, you weren't even pursuing just seem to begin to fall into your lap. It feels like everything that you touch turns to gold. Everything that you do just seems to work out. It's like, man, I am hitting my stride. Hashtag, I am winning. I don't know the guys out there, every girl that you talk to wants to date you. Girls, you've got a plethora of guys who are just lining up. You never have to have a, a bored Saturday evening or, or Friday night because everybody is willing to come out and hang out with you. Your friends want to be around you. People want to date you. Things seem to be just going great. You are in a good place. I remember being that place in 2009. My wife and I We're in a good place in our marriage. Everything just seemed to be clicking all around us. God's will for our lives was being revealed in such an accelerated fashion that we could see God's tangible hand moving in everything that we were around. All of our relationships around us were were flourishing and and relationships were being deepened and and strengthened, strengthened and opportunities were presenting themselves and we could just look back and say, man, God is in this. We're not even doing anything to deserve this. I was living my best life, y'all. I felt that everything was so good. I was in it to win it. However, there was an area of my life that was incongruous with everything that was happening around me. See, there was an area in my life where there are things that I needed to shore up, things that I needed to bring in order, that space where I knew I was ultimately out of alignment in God's will for my life. And this is where we find the children of Israel. The next text that we're about to read in Judges chapter 1, verse 27, they're in the land. They're winning. Things are happening 
for their lives. They're, they're taking ground. They're, they're building homes. They're, they're, they're seeing God's hand touch everything that they're doing, and they're beginning to flourish. Well, something that they do that we often do is when things are going really well in our lives, we begin to lessen our inhibitions. Well, we, we begin to lessen the protection of the areas in our lives that, that might not be all the way tightened up. When things are so good, we forget God's word and we forget to walk in the word that God has called over our lives. What got us here is no longer something that we keep at the top of mind. We start thinking that we did it. We start thinking that we know what's best for our lives. We start believing our own report. Well, as each tribe is supposed to be taking land moment by moment, time by time, section by section, city by city, in Judges 1, 27, we hear something unfortunate begin to take place. This is what it says, Manasseh, Manasseh, or Manasseh, however you want to say it, did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheen and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Abilim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. For the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in the land. Manasseh, this tribe of people, decide not to push these people out because these people are saying, man, listen, just let us stay. We won't bother you. We won't mess with you. We'll be here. Just allow us to keep a piece of the land. They don't drive them all out. And this is what it says. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor but did not drive them out completely. And they began to negotiate. They began to say, well, listen, at least we're going to make them work for us. We're going to make this worth it. If we're not going to take care of them out of their land, we're going to make sure they take care of us in this land. In verse 24, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulun, you would think Zebulun, all right, Zebulun is a strong name. Yeah, he, Zebulun came and he kicked everybody out. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitrin or the inhabitants of Nahalel. So the Canaanites lived among them but became subject to forced labor. Well, Zebulun said, I- I'm not going to kick everybody out. I'm going to let them stay a little bit, and, and you know what? I'm going to make it work for me. You can stay as long as you're my slaves. You can stay as long as you do what I tell you to do. Asher. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Echo or the inhabitants of Sidon or Aleb or Azizib or Helba or Aphek or of Rehob. Now they're just letting everybody and their mama stay in this land. They're not kicking out anyone. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites. Asher was the leader of the Asherite tribe, and they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, and they did not drive them out. Naphtali, all right, come on, y'all. Naphtali, Naphtali did something. I had a buddy in college. His middle name was Naphtali. He was a strong dude, awesome guy. Yes, Naphtali had to do something, right? He had to kick him out. Well, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites in the inhabitants of the land. 
Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and of Beth Anath became subject to forced labor. Naphtali too said, well, you know what? If they're going to stay, they might as well work for me. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. Uh-oh, something significant is happening here. Now, as we're going down the tribes, it seems to be a weakening of the nation. Because now it says the Amorites, the people that they were supposed to get rid of, now they're pressing the people of Dan back. Dan can't even push into the land. They're pushing them back. They're saying, no, you can't get to this place. Something is breaking down. There's a, a national breakdown taking place. It says they didn't even allow the people to come into the plain, right? The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Harris, in Ajalon, and in Shalbim, but the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them, and they became subject to forced labor. Dan said, okay, cool. I need my brother's help. I need everybody's help. I've got to subject these people, or else they're going to keep pushing us around. And verse 36, it says, And the border of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akareb, from Selah, and upwards. What's happening here? They were supposed to drive the Canaanites out, if not utterly destroy them. God had promised to help them. He says, listen, I will help you wipe these people out. In fact, it's not even you wiping them out. It's my power wiping them out before you. Unfortunately, breakdowns begin to happen like we talked about last week. Breakdowns are inevitable. Each tribe begin to let the people of the land stay. And however, they, they come up with this guilt management tool. We all do that, right? Hey, we're going to make them their slaves. See, guilt management tools uh, make what we're doing not so bad. Well, you know, I, I may be in this situation I shouldn't be in, but you know what? I I'm going to make sure that I show up to church every single week. Well, maybe, you know, I, I shouldn't be living this lifestyle that I'm supposed to be living in. I'm, I'm doing a little dirt over here, and I'm, I'm making money the wrong way, and I'm skimming a little bit, but I'll make sure to tithe a little extra so that the money uh, that I'm giving God, you, you at least accept that I'm not doing all the dirt with the money. I'm giving it to you as well, too, and I'm blessing the house. Or, or maybe we know that we're supposed to be serving, and we're supposed to be involved in, in building out the house of the Lord and, and, and tithing. So we say, listen, I'm not going to tithe, but I'm going to serve the whole lot. I'm going to always be available to serve. I'm always going to be available to do something. But yet we're disobeying God's righteous command to tithe and to give a generous offering to the house of the Lord. We begin these guilt management tools to help us feel better about not obeying what God is causing, uh, calling us to do. And they're thinking in their minds, I bet if... We make these people slaves, at least they won't rise up against us. And the reality is, is for a little while, it's all good. They felt that they had the situation under control. It wasn't that big of a deal at first. And that's how it is for our lives. That's a lie we tell ourselves. It's not that big of a deal. I've got this situation under control. God knows my heart. I may be out of alignment with his will, but he knows I really love him. He really knows that I want to follow him, but I'm just weak in these areas. And you know what? At least I'm not letting them overtake my lives. I've got the situation under control. It's not really getting out of hand. God knows that if we leave these people in this land, at least they will help us keep the land. Here's a reality. We rationalize our situation because it serves our desires, even though it neglects God's purposes for our lives. 
We begin to make rationalization because it makes us feel good, even though it goes against what God has called us to do. I remember having a conversation with somebody. This individual was going through a situation in their life where they were carrying a load and a burden where uh, they were looking at themselves as not good enough, not, not smart enough, not, not cute enough. Body is, is not good enough. And so they begin to uh, put themselves out there and allow people to come into their lives who would uh, infiltrate their minds with good things, would build them up a little bit and tell them they look good. And eventually this led down a path of them falling into some sin that they knew they shouldn't have been a part of. But the crazy thing happened. As they fall into this situation, it begins to make them feel good about themselves because sin at the outset will first make you feel good about yourself. You begin to feel like you're in control. You begin to feel that, you know, at least least I've got it under control. It's not taking control of me. And so now they're talking to me and they're saying, hey, listen, I feel so much better about myself. I feel like I'm growing. I feel like my life is beginning to flourish. And as they're walking in this sin pattern, here's the reality. The lie we believe is that because the things are still working in our favor, we have God's approval. Fast forward in my life two years later, this light, L-I-T-E, area of my life had become a heavy weight that had crushed most areas of my life. See, I thought I had it under control at the outset, but in reality, it was slowly gaining more control of my life. It was taking control of me. In fact, there's this warning in Galatians chapter 6 where it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I thought it was all good in the hood. I thought I could get away with it for a little bit. What ended up happening is that it got so out of hand, it got so out of control that I began to submit to the control that it had over my life. And that's what's happening to these individuals, to the children of Israel. And we read one of our final texts in this story. It says, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt, brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? Verse 3, the tragic statement here. So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides. Their gods shall be a snare to you. Verse 4 says, as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, they lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bokim. Bokim means the land of weeping. It means a, a, a cry. It re- means a lament. The roots of disobedience had begun to rear their ugly head. 
And what we know about this story is the children of Israel ended up going down a path where they began to follow the Canaanites. They began to look like the Canaanites. They began to do the things that the Canaanites do. And God is like, man, I chose you. But you decided to choose to follow your own desires. And the reality is I didn't do this to you because I was the one pushing back the people for you. But you choose to let them stay. You did this to yourself. Let me ask you a question. What area in your life are you willfully neglecting to bring in order? Is it your finances? Are there holes in your finances? And you know that you need to shore up some of these uh, holes. Maybe you don't understand finances very well, and maybe you're misusing finances, and, and now they're kind of getting out of hand, and you've got to get it into order for whatever reason. You're just neglecting it as you begin to suffer because it's not a big deal right now. Maybe it's unhealthy relationships. Maybe you're in an unhealthy relationship and you know God's righteous command and how to live with these relationships. Unfortunately, you are stepping out of God's will for your life, but because you have it under control, it's okay. Maybe it's your physical health. Some of us need to lose some weight. Some of us need to get in shape. Some of us have high blood pressure and, and low blood sugar or high blood sugar. We've got diabetes. We've got different health elements that we're not bringing into order, and we're willfully neglecting taking care of our bodies. Maybe there are conversations that need to be had. Maybe there's a situation on your job where you need to have a conversation with your boss. You need to have a conversation with your coworker. You need to have a conversation with your spouse. You need to have a conversation with your child. But you willfully neglect it because it's not that big of a deal right now. Maybe for some of us, it's going to get that second opinion. There's been a diagnosis, and, and we're sitting there saying, well, you know, if I just don't think about it, if I don't go and deal with it, uh, maybe it'll go away. Maybe it'll just disappear. Some of you guys, it's just putting some gas in your car. The gas prices have been crazy, and you're running on E. And you're like, maybe later, maybe, maybe later, and, and the next moment you'll see yourself walking under the creation of your own struggle. Am I really talking about gas? Maybe it's an area of your life that you feel that you're coming in underwater, but you will not take care of it. Can I tell you what we leave undone will soon undo us. See, most of the pain in our lives results from self-inflicted wounds that stem from what we have left undone. What we leave undone will soon undo us. There's three lessons that we can learn from this story. Three lessons that I want you to internalize. Three lessons that I feel like you can hold on to, give you hope and direction in this process. Number one is it ain't all good in the hood. See, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have something. We're not all perfect, and that's why around Relevant Church, we always say authenticity is the only requirement. We don't care what you've done, where you've been, who you've been with. Step into the house of the Lord, because here is where you find peace. This is where you find forgiveness. This is where you find hope. This is where you find freedom. This is where you find true satisfaction that your life has always looked for. Can I tell you, everyone's life is messy. People are messy. Pastors are messy. Politicians are messy. We're all messy messy. 
and you're not alone. It's funny, I always have conversations with people. I just had one recently. Somebody telling me about how their life is not fully in order and there's areas of their life where they're struggling and they, they, they don't understand how uh, they still struggle in these areas and they don't feel like they can take the next step in their faith because they're struggling in these areas. And when they hear from me, yeah, me too, their mind is blown. They're saying, well, you're a pastor. You can't struggle with these things. And I say, I'm human. I'm human. We are all messy. We all struggle. We all are not perfect. But can I tell you, imperfection should never be an excuse for willful ignorance or negligence. Imperfection should never be an excuse for willful negligence. It ain't all good in the hood. We understand that. That's why the lesson number two, we've got to eat the frog. What the heck is that? We've got to eat the frog. There's a book by Brian Tracy called Eat That Frog, and it's all about procrastination. It's an idiom that pretty much says this, do the thing that you don't want to do or that thing will begin to eat you. And how many of us in our lives have let things go, let things fester, let things get out of hand until the point that it began to take control of our lives? And can I tell you, procrastination is the biggest liar. The prophet Pablo Picasso, the, the artist Pablo Picasso, said this prophetic word. He says, only put off until tomorrow what you are willing to die having left undone. Wow, that's a major statement. Only put off until tomorrow what you are willing to die having left undone. Can I tell you, Israel delayed their obedience and it resulted in God denying his protection. Listen, don't procrastinate. Eat that frog, that area of your life that you need to get in order, get it in order right now. Step into it. Say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. I have been out of alignment with you, but I'm stepping into this thing right now, and I'm going to take care of it. And lesson number three, clean out the closet. Clearing out the closet is something that we do in the Midwest, especially around springtime. This is the stuff that have gathered dust all through the five, six months of winter, seven months, eight months. That's what it feels like sometimes. Well, sometimes we've got stuff in our garage. Sometimes we have stuff in our shed. Sometimes we have stuff in our closet, clothes that no longer fit us, clothes that are outdated. And, and we, it's time to clear out the closet or else these things stay and clutter up and keep space that new things, that things that we actually need can show up. I know my son recently, my oldest son, he's been growing really, really fast. He plays football in high school now. Big guy. We wear the same size clothes. His closet was chock full of stuff. It was chock full of clothes and, and shoes, and, and it was always packed up. But yet I always saw him wearing the same thing over and over and over. And I was saying, son, you got to go into your closet. You've got more clothes than this. He was like, but dad, when I try this on, it doesn't really fit. And I tried this on, it doesn't really fit. And I was like, listen, I'm not buying you any more clothes because you've got clothes in your closet. You've got to start wearing them. But the reality is when he began to clean out the closet, his clothes, he realized, did not fit him anymore. They were tight on him. They were constraining him. And I hope somebody hear this right now. Some of y'all need to clean out the closet of life because there are relationships that are constraining you. There's situations that are holding you back. There's situations that are keeping you down. They're keeping you from the blessing that you can receive. My son didn't get any new clothes because the clothes that he had were convincing us that he already had. But the reality 
reality is if he would have cleaned out his closet, he would have gotten a brand new blessing that I wanted to give him. And God has a brand new blessing that he wants to give you, but you've got to start to clear out the closet that has taken up residence in your life so that God can bring something new to take that space. Here's the thing. The Israels truly didn't want anything to do with the Canaanites. They didn't want to follow the Canaanite gods. They didn't want to live like the Canaanites. They were already blessed by God. However, the longer they remained in their midst, however, the longer they allowed the Canaanites to remain in their space, the more Israel's lives were integrated, impacted, and inundated and ultimately influenced with Canaanite culture. They adopted the customs, they married the Canaanites, and God's image in the children of Israel began to be marred because they no longer looked like God's children. They looked like the people in the lands all around them. And can I tell you, many of us are living in functional dysfunction that is slowly edging out the imago day in our lives, the image of God in our lives. And we think we're good, and then all of a sudden, we begin to act in ways that we never thought that we would. We even begin to look ourselves in the mirror and says, this is not who I was supposed to be. This is not who I was destined to be. I started off on such a good trajectory, but because I refused to realize that I'm not the only one who struggles, because I refused to just go ahead and eat the frog and cut out the thing in my life that I needed to cut out, because I refused to clean out the closet and just kind of stuffed it away, it began to eat me up. And I became something that I never thought I would be. What we leave undone will soon undo us. But can I tell you, because of the cross, Christ undid everything that would ultimately overcome us. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ loved us, loved God, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to come and undo all of the areas that have left us undone in our lives. All of the uh, sins that we've committed, all of the mistakes that we've made, all of the uh, areas that frustrate our lives, that cause us to feel like, man, I was almost victorious. I was almost crossing the finish line. I almost made it. I almost became what God wanted to, me to be. Jesus Christ came and said, it is finished. If you follow me, the old has passed away. The new has come. I will be with you. I will never forsake you. I am willing to be the completion in your life that you so desperately need. So anything we stand in need of, we can come to Jesus Christ and say, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for how I've tried to do this by my own way. I need your help. Would you help me get on the other side? Would you help me complete the conversations, complete the plan, complete the faith that is so left undone in you? And scripture reminds us this, that if my people who are called by my name, this is God speaking, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven 
I will forgive their sins and I will restore their land. Can I tell you, some of us are already living in broken, undone lives. The things that we refuse to remove out of our lives have already taken us over. Some of us are in the space where we're living that slippery slope, where there are areas of our life that we need to shore up, but for whatever reason, we've been afraid to take that next step. Can I tell you, God is saying right here, listen, you are called by my name. You are one of my own. I just dare you to humble yourself. Admit that you can't do it on your own. The children of Israel could not drive out the inhabitants of their land by themselves. It was God who was working on their behalf. And for us, we need God to help us clear out some of the clutter in our lives. It is God who we need to help us overcome some of the sins that we're falling for. It is God who we need to step in some of these relationships that are out of line and saying, God, I can't, can't, can't get to the other side of this relationship without you. I can't remove myself of this relationship without you. But I need you. I, I trust you. I, I, I beg for your forgiveness. I say, come now and take control of my life. And this is what he says. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sins and I'll restore your land. Why? Because God wants to restore you. He wants to heal you. He wants you to be fully complete in the life that he's called over you. And he wants his image to be ultimately completed in you. So today you may want to make a decision. God, forgive me. There are areas of my life that I have not shored up yet. But today, I submit them to you. I don't know how, I don't know when I will be able to overcome this, but I trust you that you will be able to forgive me and to heal my life. Let me pray. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to be the finisher, the ultimate finisher in our lives. Lord, I pray that as this message has gone out, the areas of our lives we know that we haven't shored up, the areas of our lives that we know are sketchy, the areas of our lives that we know that we haven't fully submitted to you, God, today that we will submit those areas to you. And God, I pray that you will begin to break in us a new heart a new mind, a new spirit, a new trust in you. And God, will you overcome any area of our lives that we've left undone so that your image may be seen boldly with clarity in our lives and we can walk in step with you. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this one.